Alright, guys, I've been editing this episode for a little over a week now, and personally, I know I'm biased, but I think the content is just straight gold. Alexa is super generous with her life and experience, and just being in the treehouse with her was really fun. Our conversation went in a hundred different beautiful directions, as I anticipated it would, but to sum it all up, when I asked Alexa for some final words, she said, get out there, get on your bike, get on your skis, don't be a passive observer of life. Before that, we talked about facilitating experiences for your children, the risk and reward of entrepreneurialism, setting an intention for your ride, and rebranding your community in order to stimulate your local economy. So basically, super jam-packed with content in this little episode. And the best way for you to find out more is on Instagram at the Outpost Luxury Treehouse. Okay, so all spelled out, all one word. The Outpost Luxury Treehouse. You can find a link there to Airbnb for the treehouse, and you can also meet Boone and Piper. Let's drop in. Welcome to Impact Podcast. This show is all about how hard you fall and how risk and recovery fuel you towards greater things. We're all looking to ride our best ride and live our best life, and this involves facing risk. Risk, of course, is not the enemy, neither is pain or failure, but letting fear define you is. So Impact Podcast Series provides mountain biking, crash-to-recovery stories that inspire us to be more resilient riders. Each cast is going to start out with asking biking athletes for their gnarliest crash stories. We're talking diggers, stitches, spills, high-speed wobbles, over-the-bars, medevacs, skids, drops, falls... Not to glorify our worst moments, but to show that they often set us up for success. All right. Hi, everyone. Uh, Today, my job is easy because I get to sit back and ask questions and gain insight from Alexa Araldi's life. She and her husband own and operate a luxury Airbnb in the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont. They are also passionate about enriching and expanding the mountain biking community we have. Hey, Alexa. Hi. How are you? (laughs) I'm doing good. Can you tell everyone about the space we're in right now? We built a luxury treehouse Airbnb um, on our property, and uh, it's been a labor of love. It took us a little over two years to to uh, build it by hand and salvage all the materials. It's a two-story, 600 square foot, fully four seasons, king-size bed downstairs in a living room with a little great room to a kitchen, full bathroom, and then there's a loft that has two queen beds. Does this encapsulate the vision that you originally had? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. We, um, my husband and I, um, were artists first, I would say. <laughs> what we have done is our version of a Western Lodge atmosphere, and we had a vision that we wanted to create a rental. And it's uh, a really, really amazing space. I know <laughs> I told you that earlier, but super, super great. All right, tell us a gnarly crash story of yours. Okay, I would say my earliest crash. Um, I got my first mountain bike in the 80s and grew up in a very small little town in Pennsylvania. 
your bike was your wheels. My first bike was a Fuji mountain bike, neon green. My cousins lived three miles up the road. All of our friends had a bike gang. It was very much like Stranger Things, if you're familiar with that show. Um, (laughs) And uh, we were riding our bikes back from a quarry that was down the road from our house. And I just took a big digger in the middle of the road in front of a car and remember my cousins screaming, get up and skin my knee. And that was probably one of my first memories of a pretty good crash, definitely some good road burn. And my dad having one of the very first mountain bikes as well, he had a bike that was called a Ross bike. And, um, he was just so taken with it. I remember him coming home. It was like white and gray with a black seat. And he was so uh, excited about having this thing called a mountain bike. And up until then, it was the curly, weird handled road bike. They did not have any of the apparatuses that they make today for biking. Right. So he had a rope and he put the rope from the back of his bike seat hooked onto the front of my bike. And when we were little, little, we would go out. And he would just, if you were tired, he would try to like pull us up the hill, you know, as we'd go out for our ride. So, and then you were telling me about a story more recently where you use mountain biking to find a little bit of therapy. Right. Some people have really uh, catastrophic injuries that they've sustained on a bike. Um, I went through an experience after giving birth to my son. Um, I was very, very sick and I collapsed about three weeks after giving birth to him and I was in the hospital with a newborn baby. We were in Florida on a vacation and I collapsed again and was on a morphine drip and had this moment where I I really did pray (laughs) for something to change and for my life to um, be rescued in some way from that pain. And when I got out of the hospital... I bought a bike um, and I bought a really beautiful Scott Genus 740 bike from the Village Sport Shop. And my daughter had her first, you know, she had a Strider bike and my husband got a new bike. So I used my bike to help heal my body. So tell listeners about your motocross kids and their uh, entrepreneurial adventures this (laughs) summer. I love this story so much. (laughs) So Piper and Boone. Boone is five. Piper is 10. Our family runs and operates um, a wedding and destination events venue, as well as a luxury tree house, Airbnb. And our kids are homeschooled. So they've grown up here on this farm. And we are huge proponents of hard work and child labor. <laughs> and I mean that in a loving way. Yeah. Um, I think that raising your kids with a work ethic is probably the most important thing that you can do. My dad came from nothing um, and created a life that's really enriched um, with heart because of his hard work and, and my mom too. And so from the beginning, I knew that we were going to facilitate that hard work ethic in with our schooling on a daily basis. So the kids have always had this desire to have a dirt bike. My dad was a motocross racer. That was his first sport before he even ever found skiing. And we had a track and we grew up riding dirt bikes. So we set out a plan and we made a budget and they have a lemonade stand. It's complimentary lemonade during our events, but he works for tips and he has a little tip jar and it used to say uh, dirt bike fund, but 
halfway through the summer, a really great opportunity for the dirt bikes came along. And we went to the kids and we talked about how much money they had. And we devised a plan to extend them credit (laughs) on the money that they had earned. So together, the both of them from working uh, and the lemonade stand put in about $900. Wow. And we extended them the credit on the rest and they've worked off the rest of the season to pay off the rest of the dirt bikes. Then they saved up for their boots and their gear and we just have been riding all summer and it's just been a whole nother realm of growth and risk and resiliency when you go down on a dirt bike it's a lot heavier than going down on a mountain bike so well there's a hundred life lessons right there just in this summer with your kids in the dirt bike yeah yeah go for it oh i think that when we become adults and we become parents we're constantly working towards a financial state where we can just provide these experiences and so many things it's like I want to give that to my kids. I want to give that to my kids. And we rarely stop and say, I'm not supposed to give that to my kids. They're supposed to give it to themselves. And I think that we often get misguided into that we're supposed to provide everything. And it's not in my budget. So if you choose to make that choice with the money that you earned, and you know how hard it took you to earn that, I think that that's probably the best lesson. Wow. For all the parents listening, but also for all the young people listening, that's a huge lesson for us because mountain biking is a really expensive hobby, but I actually can't think of a worthwhile hobby that isn't expensive, right? Right. Like, right. There's not a, a hobby skiing, mountain biking, boating. Uh, name, name a hobby that isn't expensive nowadays. And even, I would say this too, with Piper, she started on a Barbie fun bike. That's what we could afford at the time. But we took her to that pump track in East Burke. Every time we could, I would load up the car, I would pack sandwiches, we would go down. She had her first camps with Kingdom Camps, um, with Craig Sauerbeer. When her brother came along, he was too little for the Strider bike at first. As soon as he could walk, he was on skis and he had this little scoot. Craig ended up coming out with a first-time rider Strider mountain bike camp. So at two years old... Boone was in his first mountain bike camp in a group of other kids learning how to navigate the trails. And it had nothing to do with, you know, having the best gear or anything. Just get yourself out there. You don't, you could go on a Barbie fun bike and you can go on a Strider. Um, and every year too, because we're a family and we all have budgets and, and things are expensive. Piper's first, you know, real mountain bike is a hand-me-down from Riley Miller. Um, so summer is officially over. What other adventures do you do in the winter months? So uh, ski racing has always been a big part of our family. My husband and I both ski race. Um, I coach. Uh, I've coached everything from high school to junior program. It is a big passion of our family. Ski racing is the glue. My parents discovered Burke Mountain in the 1970s and fell in love with it uh, in the 1990s. They sold everything and took a huge leap of faith and um, moved here. So I coach. Aaron has been more uh, ski race dad. Tuning, gear prep. Uh, it takes a lot of support from the, both parents it to does. have two kids in a sport that requires a lot of travel. Yeah. How does the reality of risk pay off in all those areas of your life? Risk is probably the single most important aspect of manifesting any of that. 
you can't have reward without risk. I think that we are so afraid to fail in our society and we're raising generations of kids that are afraid to even put themselves out there. Yep, risk adverse generation. I am standing there on the sidelines screaming no. (laughs) It's all about risk. It's about calculated risk. In our family, we have taught our kids about the laws of cause and effect. So for example, like before a ski race, we have since Piper was little or before a bike event, but if you're going to go up to the mountain and you're going to go do the downhill course, you set your intentions, you dial in the energy. And I think if you align with the energy first, you drastically reduce the amount of injury and risk. And before you're going to go out there and huck yourself down a mountain or jump off of a cliff or ride off of the biggest jump on Burke Mountains bike park you've ever done, you should check in emotionally, internally with yourself and set that intention. And when I say set intention, like my kids do something as simple as they'll do attitude of gratitude. And I do this with the kids that I coach. Before we have any games, I go around to every single kid and I say, tell me five things you're grateful for. Yeah. Um, and sometimes those are healthy, it's being general. Healthy you know? expectations. Healthy expectations. Right. We're not doing these sports. I don't I don't put myself out there and drive to all these things and facilitate these experiences for my kids because at the end of the day I'm like, oh, I want them to be on the US ski team or mm-hmm. I want them to be a professional biker or I want them to be the best dirt biker in the world or the best violinist because you know my kids do music. It is nothing about that. It's about creating a platform for personal growth. And character is defined. It's forged when you fail and you keep going. When you learn to tune out the herd, when you learn to not care what everybody else thinks, at the end of the day, do you think my kid comes home crying because she's not gotten a medal yet for ski racing? You better believe it. Mm. But when we come home and there's tears, it's... Look how far you've come. Look at yourself in context from where you began. It's about progression. It's the progression. It's the and process. It has, exactly. Yes. That skill is used in everything you do in life. I had to take risk to decide I was going to dedicate three years of my life to put all of my extra money into building this luxury tree house. Yeah. And we're right? sitting in it now. And we're sitting and in it now. Matters. And it's paid itself back. People often put down those that have businesses or the entrepreneur or we say things in this culture like, oh, the elites or those people are rich. You should really more put it in terms of those people took risk, okay? Mm -hmm. Because, yes, there is a level of ancestral uh, wealth that continues to move hands, okay? But there's also, and it's what our country was founded on and what a lot of the great uh, people that we look back and we look to, they created their own way from nothing. And that was 100% risk. My parents, 100% risk to move somewhere away from all of your family, to take a company you started. My dad started a business, dropped out of college, bought a backhoe at 19. My mom was keeping receipts in a shoebox and they decided to start a construction business. But you keep the faith. You keep the vision board going. And you just keep working hard. My dad worked three jobs. My mom worked three jobs. They kept busting their butts. And that's what risk has done for them. And now the reward is, is that they've created this business that is successful and sustainable. Now their children have come back. And now their grandchildren are back here 
putting their own spin on that. And it was a hundred percent risk. And I think we can all be creative and we can all praise creativity, but until you actually put everything on the line, that's when true respect comes in. Nice. Oh, awesome. So I definitely want to get your insight into what locals can do to stimulate not just our micro economy, but the economy in general as it relates to mountain biking or tourism, experience tourism. What are your thoughts on that? This is a huge topic that's coming up. How do we rebrand our communities? How do we create sustainable, intentional tourism where people are coming and seeking out the Northeast Kingdom? We are the last gem in our state. We are very much undisturbed and untouched, and we have seen such tremendous growth from the mountain biking sector, what Kingdom Trails has done. I remember when Kingdom Trails got started 25 years ago. That's exactly when we moved here. It was nothing. Even in the early 2000s, late 90s, we were riding our bikes and there was just a few trails to ride up there. It was so much fun, but it was nothing like it is today. I think that capitalizing on what we do best, being on our authentic selves. We have an awesome ski mountain. We have an amazing trail network. We are poised now to branch that down into the other communities like St. Johnsbury. Uh, the hospital just put in an 82-acre um, double loop trail system with Caledonia Trail Collect- yeah, Collaborative. Uh, Joe Fox, uh um, and and all of those guys working on that, uh, Libby Ratico. Um, I think Bentley was a part of that. Yep. Kate Crocker, uh, Chris Dussault, um, they have worked tirelessly to try to bring the trail systems down our way. And to me, I in what I do, I'm creating an experience where people want to come away to Vermont. Yeah. So we've got this agro-tourism, we've got farm-to-table, we've got local war food movements like in Hardwick, you know, where food has literally revamped their community and, and farming. And we have mountain biking, which has become, we've become known for that. Now we add in unique boutique lodging experiences. Maybe you have an old milk house in your barn that's got electricity and is partially insulated. Maybe you decide to turn that into a cool place for bikers to stay. It's not just bikers, though, because with Catamount Arts, we've been able to bring in the Levitt Amp Music Series. Um, we They have their own stage. They have provided amazing, uh, you know, free to the public uh, programming for concerts every Sunday night. Uh, people come up from the city. They come from New York City. They rent an e bike. They they rent a bike. They go up to Kingdom Trails. They go see a free concert on Sunday night, and maybe they go home on Monday. Yeah. That's how we recreate and sustain our communities by opening up our doors, by creating, utilizing the platforms of Airbnb, VRBO, and things like that. We get to share who we are, and we also get to create these one-on-one experiences. Those people that come here, they go into our town. They are going to buy food from our restaurants. They're going to buy food from our shops. They're going to need bike supplies. Five, ten extra people a day in our little shops makes a huge difference, especially to our local economy, because if we don't support our town, we don't have a, a town to support us. As always, thank you for catching this episode of impact. Next month, we're going to have even more content for you. That means more crash stories and more conversations surrounding this topic of facing risk and helping you become a more resilient rider. 
You can find us on social. My Insta is at KaleSands, K-A-Y-L-S-A-N-D-S. And you can also share your stories with us by emailing impact.podcast12 at gmail.com. That email is also the best way for you as a listener to pitch your ideas for the show and connect with our team for project collaboration and brand partnership. Of course, we're also going to unashamedly ask you to subscribe to the show and leave a comment wherever you stream your podcasts. Until next month, go ride your best ride and live your best life.